There's so many things that God wants to do for you and in you and through you. And sometimes we just have a way of sabotaging that. Uh, because our heart gets kind of sideways. It gets, gets kind of messed up. And um, we can undo or hinder those good things that God wants to do in us and through us. So that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. In fact, uh, I'm calling this talk today Authentic Imitation. You go, I, I'm not sure those two words go together. And obviously in our culture and in our day, we tend to think about imitation as something that is kind of a cheapened, reasonable facsimile to the real deal. And uh, here's the big idea of what we're going to be talking about today. That when we imitate Christ, when we begin to take on the life that He lived, we become our most authentic selves. And so we're going to be reading some Scripture passages in just a moment where we're, we're exhorted, we're encouraged to imitate Christ and thereby become our most authentic selves. So we're going to be doing that as we look in the New Testament at the book of Ephesians. And if you're not familiar with the Bible and you have one with you, we'd encourage you to open up Table of Contents, find the book of Ephesians. It's near the end of the New Testament. And turn to chapter 5 in Ephesians, and you'll begin uh, to be ready uh, to read along with me in a moment. I'm going to read 21 verses. There's a lot of verses we're going to look at today. Uh, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be an hour-long sermon. No, it won't be that long. But we, ha- we do have a lot to think about, and we're going to try to do that as quickly as we can. So you're going to want to think as quickly as you can. All right? So this has been kind of a remarkable week. We have had a lot of birthdays in the church family over this past week, and I wouldn't dare even begin to name you. A, I don't want to embarrass you, and B, I don't want to embarrass myself by forgetting one of the names. But uh, just in the last week, we've had several Meadowbrook birthdays, and I hope that you had a good time. I hope it was a special day. I hope that some people that you care about uh, expressed what you mean to them. That's kind of the things that we typically do around uh, birthdays. Some of us handle birthdays better than others, right? I'm one of those people that doesn't handle birthdays very well. Uh, And the older I get, the worse I do with it. So uh, a long time ago, I turned 50. And, uh, yeah, thanks for that laugh. Uh, And so I I remember well when I was approaching my 50th, I told Sherry, I don't want to have a birthday party. I don't want to think about that birthday. I don't want any kind of acknowledgement from anybody. Don't say anything that my birthday is coming up. And the next thing I know, uh, some friends were having a birthday party for me. And so uh, it was great. Uh, We had some friends open their home. They prepared a meal. There was about a dozen people. We all sat around the table and had a meal together. And uh, they brought cards, some of them funny, some of them meaningful, uh, little gifts, had cake, had ice cream. That sounds like a wonderful time, doesn't it? It was pitiful. And and part of the reason is because my mentality is just so grief-stricken that I'm an old dude now. I I just, I had a hard time with 50. I really did. Um, I enjoyed thinking about myself as a young guy. And and now I don't think about myself as a young guy. Like, wow, you're old. Uh, And so I struggled that entire night. And you know what happened? 
I, I hope it didn't happen for everybody else, though. Sometimes that just kind of oozes out of me and it affects everybody else. I hope they had an okay time. But uh, I was absolutely sucking the joy out of my life because of my attitude. Because I had not kind of recognized and realized how blessed I am, how many good things God has done for me and in me and through me, and uh, how many of you are, are so special and near and dear to me. I couldn't get my head wrapped around what was right. All I could think about what what was wrong or what I was losing. And I absolutely sucked the joy right out of the very good life that I am uh, blessed to have. Do you ever do that? Do you ever have blessings in your life? God being good to you. Other people being good to you. And you deal with that, you handle that in such a way, you suck the joy right out of it. Or am I the only one? (laughs) Well, that's kind of what, uh, amen, I'm the only one, thank you. Okay. Uh, (laughs) That's kind of what we're going to be getting into today when we um, look at the text. But before we look at the text, I want you to see where Paul's coming from. Because here are some of the good things that God has done for you. And we've been, for those of you that are new, we've been going through the book of Ephesians for several weeks now. Just in the first three chapters, here's what we found out that God did for us. Here's what we found out that God gave us. Here's what we found out that God has tried to bless us with. We're told in uh, chapter 1 that He redeemed us. In other words, we were kind of like throwaway, discarded, messed up, screwed up people. And He said, no, I want that person. And he spent this exorbitant price to buy us back from fallenness so that we could be near and close to him. And he did that in the sacrifice of Christ. He redeemed us. He forgave us. Now, forgiveness is not free to the one that does the forgiving. It's free to the one that receives the forgiving. And God paid an extremely high price to forgive us in the death and the sacrificial loss of life in in Jesus. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. And chapter 1 tells us He has adopted us. Now, we have friends in in the family here, right, that uh, open their home and open their hearts and open their lives to foster kids and, and, and kids that need adoption from time to time. And we have the opportunity to meet them when they come to church and kind of befriend and bless and pray for and so on like that. And some of us have a little exposure. Some of us have a lot of exposure about what it means to not belong, to be not desired, not wanted. And everybody on the planet is like that, except for God pursuing us and wanting to adopt us. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. And Paul says, these are the good gifts that he gives us. He buys us back from our waywardness and redeems us. He forgives us of all the messes that we've made. He adopts us as his sons and his daughters. And then he reconciles us with with himself. The Bible says we get so sideways with God. We get so screwed up. It's like we're his enemies. And as he forgives that, he reconciles us to himself. We can have friendship. We can have relationship. We can be up close and personal with Him. What a good gift. And He seals all that within us by His Spirit. 
You say, how do you know that you have a connection to God? How do you know that He is transforming and saving your life and that someday you'll go to heaven? You know that because He places His Holy Spirit in you and seals that reality in your heart so that you become convicted and convinced of that. What a good gift. And then he he continues to do this kind of revealing thing. He shows you more and more about who he is. He shows you more and more about who you are. He shows you more and more about what this world and what this life is about, what the life to come is about. He just keeps opening up new mysteries and new chapters and allowing us to see things that we wouldn't be able to see otherwise. And, And as if Paul just couldn't wrap it all up, he just said, and by the way, he just does more than you can ever ask. He does more than you can ever imagine. So happy birthday. It's just like he he just keeps giving gifts and giving gifts and giving gifts. But if you're anything like me, you have those times in your life, you have those seasons in your life where you get a little sideways with that and you just kind of suck the joy right out of all that. You miss the celebration, and the goodness. And here, here is a primary reason why, and this is what Paul's going to get at that we're going to read in just a moment. It's, it's called idolatry. Now, idolatry simply means this. We make something or we make someone more important than God. We make something or we make someone bigger than God. In our lives. So, for example, with my my little birthday deal many years ago, I was making youth. And I was making all that goes with youth in that moment bigger than God. And I had kind of made an idol out of the whole age thing on my own birthday. And so I was kind of like screwing up the whole thing because I was getting sideways around idolatry. And we can do that about anything. We can do that about anyone. And what Paul is going to say is that we especially do that around, and and this is because this was the issue in his day, we do that around sexuality. We make it way bigger, way more sensational than what it truly is. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So we're going to do a little reading, and hopefully you've been able to find the text in your Bible. And we'll pick it up in chapter 5 of Ephesians. Beginning with verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. There, There must not even be a hint of that as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or is who, who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance In the kingdom of Christ and God. This is a big deal. Let no one deceive you with empty words. 
For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Verse 14, hang with me. For anything that becomes visible is light, and therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk. It's kind of like what Jerry sang a moment ago. Guard your heart. Be very careful. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A whole lot there, a whole lot there. And we're going to move quickly and uh, hopefully God will do something important in each of us. So as we get started in what Paul is saying in the text, he says, here's how you're able to be authentically the imitation of Christ. He exhorts us to imitate Christ so that his authenticity becomes your life. Now, how do you go about imitating Christ? He highlights that in primarily two ways. And you'll see, beginning in verse 1, He starts with the word, therefore. Therefore always means what? That means you look back to see what he is concluding about. So if you look at the immediately preceding verse, chapter 4, verse 32, he says, therefore, imitate Christ in this way. Be forgiving as Christ is forgiving. And then you move forward to verse 2, and he says, and love one another like Christ loves you. So here's how you go about imitating Christ and developing the authentic life that Jesus is in you. You primarily do that by practicing forgiveness, practicing love, forgiving others, loving others. Now, I want to be careful that we get what he's talking about in the fullest sense, in the fullest nuance. How many of you have read the old book by Charles Sheldon, In His Steps? Several of you? Uh, Okay, not as many as I thought. Maybe 35% of you, 40%. This book came out around the turn of the 20th century, and it became very, very popular, uh, bestseller for a lot of years. And then around the turn of the 21st century, 100 years later, it became popular all over again. And if you don't know why, how many of you know the little initials WWJD? You you remember the little bracelets that everybody had, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? All of that came out of this book in his steps. Charles Sheldon tells the story, uh, real briefly, 
about a church that showed up on Sunday just kind of minding their own business. Kind of like today. And uh, they were going to, you know, kind of go through the things you always go through on a Sunday or whatever. And a guy who was really down on his luck, really having a hard time in life, showed up. And nobody paid him much attention. Nobody kind of engaged him. Nobody kind of made themselves available to make a difference in his life in, in any kind of way. And he left. Church was over. Everybody left. The next day, news went across town that that very guy had died. And the church was kind of traumatized by that because many of them recognized he was right here in our midst and we didn't do anything. And so one of them came up with the idea, you know what? From now on, I'm going to make this choice. Before I decide about anything, I'm going to ask the question, what would Jesus do? And then I'm going to, as best I know how, do what I think Jesus would do in that scenario. And person after person after person in that congregation made a similar commitment. That for the next year, they would, every day of that year, try to ask the question, no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation they were in, what would Jesus do about this? And it was pretty powerful. It was changing the way people were, were doing business with one another. It was changing the way people treated one another. It was changing what was going on in families, etc., etc. It's a great story. It's an inspiring story. I enjoyed the read, and it stirred me on. But here's the, the piece that is a, a little less than biblical for us. These kinds of decisions, what would Jesus do, were not based so much in his transforming power in me, enabling me to do what Jesus would do, as much as it was just about my own decision to try to do what Jesus would do. Do you see the difference there? This is a huge difference. It's like the difference between life and death. And so when we start talking about imitating Jesus so that you forgive others like Jesus did and that you love others like Jesus did, this is not something that you muster up by your own will. Because frankly, we don't have the goods to forgive like Jesus did. We don't have the goods to love like Jesus did. We are dependent upon him bringing that kind of power to us. And when he does, it changes us. It transforms us. And so here's what happens if you just do the in his steps kind of methodology. You end up acting like you're forgiving. You end up acting like you love. And the next thing you know is you've just become an actor. You haven't become a new man. You haven't become a new woman. And God's agenda for us is not to see us become actors, pretenders, but that we authentically become forgiving, loving people like Jesus. So, Paul says... Here's how you're going to be able to receive all the good gifts that God wants to give you and enjoy them, live with them, become all that they can become to you. First of all, he says, imitate Jesus. And then he says, practice thanksgiving. Now, look at the context. You're looking at verse 4 where he says to, to uh, be thankful. What's the context of that? It's that whole you know, little paragraph where he addresses sexual immorality. Now, this was a situation in his day and in that city. 
Uh, Ephesus, of course, is a big mega city in Paul's day. And he's helped to start a church that's in that city. And he's writing this letter to those people in that church. And so you might have to use your imagination a little bit. Can you imagine a place that just like over-sensationalizes sex? Can you imagine a time and a day where like sex is everywhere? It's in all of the entertainment. It's all over the news. It's stuff that people talk about all the time. You know, if you can imagine that kind of scenario. That's what Paul was facing. And so he says, don't even let sexual immorality be hinted. Not even a hint of it around your life. Why? Because it breeds a discontentment. Pardon me while I wet my whistle. And when you breed that discontentment, you begin to long for something more than you long for God. And it stirs what the Bible calls covetousness in you. To covet something is to desire it intensely, to kind of get fixated on it, to even become obsessive about it. So it's all you think about, it's all you talk about, you kind of arrange your, your life and your activities all around it. And he says, guard your heart against sexual immorality because it will lead to covetousness, which is, what did he say it is? Idolatry. Now, friends, we could talk about a million things that can become idolatry to us, that we just make too big a deal of and esteem it too much and we put it before God. But in this case, Paul chose to illustrate it, illustrate the point of idolatry and covetousness with sexual immorality. And so, just saying in the text, that's what we're thinking about also. It just seems to kind of be what's going on in circumstances around us and in our day and in our culture. He says, now, now, if you get it in the broader context of what Paul has said and what he will say uh, coming up in the rest of this chapter, there's nothing wrong with sex. So we're not bashing sex today. The Bible makes the case that when sex is practiced within a covenant marital relationship where, where a man and a woman have committed themselves to one another for a lifetime, it's awesome. It's beautiful. It's a tremendous way to express your love one for another and to procreate and to bring new life into this world. It's, it's an awesome thing. But when it is taken outside of that context and used in illicit ways, ways that abuse the person or others, then it becomes something that breeds this inordinate desire and covetousness and becomes idolatrous to us. And so he exhorts us to guard our heart about that. How do you guard your heart against that? He says, practice thanksgiving. Now, I want to highlight that word practice for just a minute because we can take it back to the other two thoughts we just had. We are to practice forgiveness. We are to practice love. And we guard our hearts... By practicing thanksgiving. In other words, when God begins to do this saving work in us, I'm going to to throw a couple of big words at you, okay? Because I know you can handle it. He regenerates us, right? So it's like he gives us a new birth, a new life, 
And he continues this kind of process with it that's called sanctification. So he regenerates us and he sanctifies us. He causes us to come alive into a new life, a Jesus kind of life. And then sanctify just means he kind of grows that, develops that, nurtures that. And so in that process, God has us in situations where forgiveness is necessary. And so he stirs you to forgive. You lean upon his power to forgive. And as you practice forgiveness there, and you practice forgiveness here, and you practice forgiveness there, you know what? Over some time, over some sanctifying in your life, you become a forgiving person. You're not just acting. You're not just pretending. That's who you are. You get in situation after situation with hard-to-love people. I'm not talking about easy-to-love people. Anybody can do that. But hard-to-love people, and you practice it here, and you practice it here, and you practice Next thing you know, you have become a loving person. And when you begin to practice thanksgiving, you consciously stay aware of, here's what God's done for me. Here's how good He is to me. Here's how He blesses me. Here's how he endows and empowers and so on like that. And when you live in that thankful kind of way, you not only become a thankful person, you have a guarded life, a guarded heart. That covetousness cannot come into, make you dissatisfied and longing for some forbidden fruit and get you sideways with God. Are you with me? And then he says in verse 10, Discern what God wants. In other words, make it your business, kind of like what the book in his steps was saying, what does God want? What would Jesus do about this? What would Jesus do about that? Only now you're not just engaging your own will about that. You're engaging the very power of God in you about that. How would God want you to think about the people in your work situation, the people in your cul-de-sac. How would God want you to treat this person, that need, this circumstance? We just spent three weeks emphasizing uh, the mission that God has entrusted to this church and to you. What would God want me to do about those? Discern who God is and what God is up to and what he wants out of you about that. Now, when Paul says that, that's not to suggest this is hard to do. It's not hard or impossible to do. God wants you to know what he wants. And so he makes it his business to disclose, reveal, open these things up to us so that we can see, so that we can get it. And then he says, as we wrapped up the text, be filled with the Spirit. How is it that you become an authentic Imitation of Christ. So that his real life becomes your real life. He says, imitating, practice thanksgiving, learn to discern, and be filled with his spirit. Actually, the, the verb tenses in the ancient language means this. Continue to be being filled. It's not something that just happens once, way back when, when you had a religious moment or a spiritual moment. But it's something that continues day after day after day for the rest of your life, where he freshly just fills you with himself, freshly fills you with his power 
and His wisdom and His grace and His patience and so on like that. It's just this constant flow in you, through you, out of you. And you become this great blessing to others because of His filling in you. Now notice how He clarifies what this filling is like. Because there's a lot of you know, strange ideas out there about what it means to be full of His Spirit. All right? So He clarifies that by contrasting it with being filled with something else. And what did he say? Be full of the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit rather than with wine. Now, I I think this is so interesting that he would contrast the Spirit with what we sometimes refer to alcohol as spirits. Isn't it interesting that somehow we began to refer to alcohol as spirits? And that's because they have a very similar kind of impact upon us. When we begin to be filled with one or the other, it has a strong impact on us and oftentimes through us, right? And so when you think about being filled, it is kind of this passive idea where alcohol is doing something to us or God's Spirit is doing something to us. But it's also kind of a cooperating with it. We kind of lean into what that filling is doing. So when it comes to alcohol, suddenly uh, when certain quantities of it get within you, when you're filled, it begins to impair what you see, how you see it, how you engage it, so that you can even become kind of deadly at that point. That's why we say we, we, we make it illegal that you can even get behind the wheel of a car when you have been filled with alcohol because it can be deadly. You can hurt people. You can hurt yourself when you have been filled with alcohol in that kind of way. Similarly, but different. When you are filled with his spirit, it doesn't impair as much as it empowers And it doesn't work ill or deadly kinds of things as much as it works life and blessing. And so when you are filled with His Spirit, again, it affects what you see. But now you're seeing things like God sees things. It it affects not only how you perceive things, but you begin to perceive it the way God does. It not only uh, uh, allows you to see need the way that it is, but you care about that need. You have compassion. You feel about that need the same way that God does. And so this becoming authentically like Jesus is dependent upon our being filled day after day after day after day by His Spirit. And that leads us to, what are you going to do with what we've been thinking about in these moments? You see, what we've said from the beginning is this. This is all dependent on God redeeming you back from waywardness, reconciling you to himself, adopting you as his son or daughter, saving you from your sin. Would you believe that? Would you say, you know what, I I think maybe I get that. I want to trust him. I want to have that kind of faith. I want him to be in my life in that kind of way. And friend, I want to encourage you to use the little connection card thing that I referred to earlier in the service as kind of a tool with which you can respond to God. 
On the back side of that, there's a little place that says, I'd like to have that kind of personal relationship with Jesus. If that's where you are, would you check that? As a commitment to Him, as a step toward Him. And that's something I'll pray for you about. That's something I'd be available to have a conversation with you about if you wanted to, or email exchange, whatever works for you. You see, we're not talking about morality. We're not talking about God trying to, you know, encourage you to be a good person, a better person. We're talking about a whole new life. We're talking about Him transforming you from an old kind of life to a whole new kind of life. Would you say yes to that? Would you invite Him into your life to do that? Would you imitate Christ with forgiveness and love? Now, He brings power to you to do that, but then you practice it. You use it. You you implement the power that He brings to you to do that. I know some of you are in the room today, and you've got somebody that forgiveness is necessary. You, you kind of have that sense. God wants you to do a forgiving thing. And it's just beyond where you are. Right now, would you lean into Him and say, God, would you help me have your power to forgive? There's a hard-to-love person in your life right now. Help me, Lord. To love that person. And, and that's not just how I feel about them, but how I will treat them, how I will act around them, how, what I will do with them. Will you practice thanksgiving? Maybe as we've been talking today, things have been popping into your head. You know what? God has done this. He's done that. He's blessed me with these things. Write those things down. Just rehearse them to the Lord. Lord, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. Practice Thanksgiving. Will you discern His ways? You've got questions about something going on in your workplace. You've got questions about something going on in your family. You've got questions going on about somebody that's your neighbor or somebody in our church family. What does God want you to do about that? He has a will. He has a plan. He will share that with you. He'll disclose it to you. Ask Him. The Bible says you have, you have not wisdom because you ask not. So ask Him. Give me some wisdom. Show me something here. And then finally, will you be filled? See, that, the, the filling of the Spirit is kind of like the power for everything we just mentioned up above. And Lord, I, I just... Maybe, maybe you fill your life too much with alcohol. Maybe you fill your life too much with something else. Maybe you fill it with too much work. Maybe you fill it with too much recreation. Maybe you fill it with too much sloth and laziness. Maybe you fill it with too much, you name it. Do a little emptying, offloading of some of what you're filling your life with, creating more capacity and space for His Spirit to come in and fill your life in that kind of way. These are huge, huge things. This has been like a divine appointment with God where He just wanted to speak into our lives. He wanted to kind of embrace and draw us near so that these issues could be touched on in us. He wants to make a difference with how Monday is lived for you. Not just kind of a little Sunday religious thing. Let me pray for you about that. Okay? So, Father, you know exactly what you're up to. 
with each one of us. And because we trust you, because we believe you're good, because we believe that what you're up to is right, we just we pray, would you have your will and your way with us, with me? For my friend who needs to trust you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, would you just draw near to them in that way? For my friend that needs to forgive, help them. My friend that needs to love someone well, help them. For our friends that need to practice Thanksgiving, quit sabotaging the good things that you're doing. Show us and enable us to be thankful. Father, for my friend that needs direction, discernment, would you reveal your way? All of us, we pray, Father, continue to fill us with your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.